again, glad you guys are here. If you're a guest, that's, you're, you're probably done at this point. <laughs> there are plenty of good churches in the area. We can, we can recommend some. Three things uh, today, three different people's intera- or reactions when they get to the empty tomb. Three different people's uh, reactions at the empty tomb. John 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So we have three people. We have Mary Magdalene. We've not seen her before. She's only mentioned one time in John as a witness to the crucifixion. Other Gospels, we see that she was a woman whom Jesus cast seven demons out of and also someone who supported Jesus and the 12 disciples financially. She followed Jesus and the 12, and she uh, gave money to them. Highly devoted to Jesus. Uh, Again, witness of his crucifixion. Watched when Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and put it in a tomb. Remember, Jesus wasn't buried in a hole in the ground, but more like a cave. And she saw where Joseph placed Jesus, and she goes back super early on Sunday morning, probably still dark outside, and a tomb would be sealed with a disc-shaped rock, and it would stay sealed for a year. And then after a year, you'd push the rock away, go inside, the body, the, the flesh would have all decomposed, and you'd just have bones. You'd put those bones in a box and then place them deeper in the tomb permanently. So she walks up, and she just sees that this rock has been moved, and so her assumption is somebody moved the body. She doesn't actually go and look in the tomb. She just assumes... Someone's moved the body, so she runs back to Peter and John and gets them and tells them, and so they then run to the tomb. So this is the most important event in the history of the world, this resurrection. There's nothing more important. John wants to make sure that we know that he's faster than Peter. So he, he works, that, works that into the story, super important detail. John gets there first, doesn't go in, looks inside, and he sees these strips of linen. So Jews did not embalm, put spices on a dead body, wrapped them up in linen, and just let them decompose for a year, maybe put a different cloth on their head as they did for Jesus. So John looks inside, and he sees these linen, strips of linen, these grave clothes, and Peter gets there, and as uh, is, I guess, keeping with his personality that we see, he just runs right into the to the tomb, and he sees both these grave clothes and he sees the head cloth still placed where you would think a head cloth would be placed if the body was laying there. And so I think the wheels for these guys are in their minds are, are starting to, to turn a little bit. They heard from Mary the body has been moved or taken, and what they're looking at doesn't make a ton of sense. If you were going to take the body or move the body, why would you unwrap it? And certainly, why would you unwrap it neatly? Why would you do that? And so they're thinking, we don't exactly know what conclusions Peter comes to, but John tells us he believed. We don't know what he believed. He doesn't tell us that, but he believed something. 
In John 14, Jesus said that he would ascend to the Father, and I'm wondering if that's what John thought. If John didn't think Jesus had bodily, been bodily resurrected and was walking on the earth, if he thought he'd actually just gone straight to heaven bodily. So his body is now in heaven because he says we didn't know from the Old Testament that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. We didn't know that at this point. And so both of those guys leave and go back to wherever they were, wherever they stayed. And then we pick up again with Mary. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She got there at some point. She must have been the slowest of the three in the race. So she gets there. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they said, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Crying, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards Jesus and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that Jesus had said these things to her. So Mary gets back to the tomb, don't know if she crosses paths with Peter and John, don't know if they have any interaction with her, but she's, she's very upset. That word crying, it's not, it's not polite sniffling, it's weeping and wailing. She's distraught. So she gets back to the tomb. She again does not go inside. She stoops down and looks in. Where Peter and John saw grave clothes, she sees angels. It's a, I mean, upgrade for her. But she, I don't know if she recognizes them as angels. It's difficult. Her interaction with them, again, it's so colored by her distress and her grief. She sees them, and rather than asking them anything, they say to her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken his body, and I don't know where they've put it. And, and then she, I, I sit outside, maybe because the last time she saw him, he was, you know, he was a bloody mess on the cross, and she was not expecting him. Sometimes, you know, we do that, see somebody in an unfamiliar setting, we don't quite recognize him. Or maybe it's just his, this new body that he has, this resurrected body. And Luke, he's walking with two guys, and he walks with them for miles, and they don't recognize Jesus until they sit down to eat. So maybe it's some kind of trick with this new body that he has that Mary doesn't recognize him. And he, woman, why are you crying? Same question again. Whom do you seek or what are you looking for? Same thing, and she's saying to this guy who she thinks is the gardener, did you, did you take him? Just tell me, I'll go get him. And I'm trying to picture in my mind Mary like slinging the corpse of Jesus over her body. I mean, that's like literally dead weight. And she's going to carry him back. She just, I mean, she is so upset right now. And then Jesus cuts through all of that with just her name. He says, Mary. And her eyes are open, and she can see him. She calls him teacher. I'm imagining at that point she's on the ground, kind of in a puddle, grabbing onto his ankles. And he says, now, now's not the time. I bet she knew maybe the same thing John knew, that Jesus has said, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And she's probably going, I just found you. I'm not, I'm not letting go. And he says, it's not, not time yet, not time for that. Go tell my brothers that I will be ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary goes. She goes back to the disciples and she says, 
I've seen the Lord, and she tells him everything that Jesus said to her. So three people, Peter, John, Mary. Three different encounters uh, with this empty tomb. Peter and John, we don't get a whole lot from them. We don't really know what they were thinking. They don't say anything. John believes to some degree. Peter, we're not exactly sure. But it did make me think about people, and maybe some of you who are here this morning, who are, you're still, a, you're still deciding what you think about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what that would mean to you. And maybe the encouragement from John and from Peter is to do some firsthand investigating on your own. They ran to the tomb. They didn't just take Mary's word for it. They ran to the tomb to see what was going on. And they saw these grave clothes, and they began to draw their own conclusions. And I wonder for you if you'd be willing to do the same. If you haven't yet made up your mind who Jesus is and what that means for you, would you be willing to do some firsthand digging, some firsthand investigating? The best way to do that is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four most extensive and reliable accounts that we have of Jesus' life and ministry. And you may say, well, that's written by followers of him. Absolutely. You read biographies all the time that are written by people who love the subject that they're writing about. We don't disqualify somebody just because they know the person they're writing about. And there's nothing else even close. We don't have anything else that's even close in terms of the accuracy or the reliability. And so I would encourage you, read those four books and make up your own mind who Jesus is and what that means for you. And I want you to get this kind of a Bible. It's expensive. It costs $40. Right, don't get the one in the middle. The one on the left is called the New Living Translation, and the one on the right is called the New International Version. Both of those are easy to read. The one in the middle is called the English Standard Version. It's the most literal, but it's hard to read. So I would say don't, don't start there unless you just want the most literal translation you can get. But it makes it harder to understand. Get the one on the left or get the one on the right. You can order them on Amazon. You just type in NIV Study Bible. You can download it or it'll ship to you. It's $40. That's a lot of money. If you don't have $40, I want you to find Kim after the service. We'll buy you one. People who put money in those buckets when they come by would rather that money go to buying you a Bible if you're going to dig in and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than to anything else. We would love to do that. If that's a barrier for you, to investigating who Jesus is. We, it would be our joy to, to buy you one of those. And the only condition is read those four books. You read Matthew for your life. The best, it's the best encouragement I can give you on an Easter Sunday is for you to do some firsthand investigating so that you can decide, again, who he is and what it means. In the Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have the best record of what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and what that means for us. Many of you already made that decision. You're maybe more, Mary, Mary Magdalene may speak uh, to where you are this morning, maybe more than Peter and John. A couple of things that Jesus says to her that I, I want you to grab onto just one of them. You can't grab onto all three. It's too much. So grab onto one of these ideas. Jesus says to Mary, go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. First time in John's gospel, he calls the disciples his brothers. And also the first time in John's gospel that he calls God their father. 120 times he refers to God as his father. This is the first time he calls God their father. Something changed with the resurrection. 
with, in terms of the disciples, their relationship with Jesus and their relationship with God. Jesus' death and resurrection changes the relationship that we have with God. We can become his children. This isn't a word, but we're going to use it. We become adoptable. We become adoptable. Paul says that in Romans 5 that when we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He says in Romans 5.10 that we were enemies of God. And while we were enemies of God, God was reconciling us to him through the death of Jesus. Because of the sins that we commit, lying, cheating, gossiping, those acts, and because of our, our, our sinful nature, this bent that we have towards ourselves and away from God, we're not acceptable to him. Jesus' death and resurrection make us acceptable to him. They make it so that we can then be adopted into his family. Many of you have made a decision to follow Jesus, but you don't live on a daily basis as a son or a daughter of God. Some of you are um, either this afternoon or tonight, you're going to go eat with your extended family. And based on the, the number of people in your family and the size of your house, you may have two tables, the adult table and the kid table. Some of you are, haven't graduated to the adult table yet. Fingers crossed, it's coming soon for you. But we feel that way sometimes with God. I may be in the house, but I'm still, I'm not at the adult table. I don't know enough, I don't pray enough, I sin too much, I, whatever it is. We don't recognize the invitation that he issues to us. We don't recognize Jesus is saying, brothers. Sisters, realize he's talking about my brothers. Peter, the last time we saw him, was denying even knew Jesus three times. The other ten disciples, Judas is out of the picture at this point. The other ten disciples all bailed when Jesus is arrested. And he's calling them my brothers. And he's saying to them, my father is your father. The invitation is open to all of us. But for many of us, we... we exclude ourselves. We choose to stay at the kid table when God has invited us to sit with him. There's a parable in Luke 15, the prodigal son. This youngest son goes to his dad and says, dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my money now. That's the only thing I want from you. And he takes his dad's money and he goes to a foreign country and he wastes it. And at some point he realizes it would be better to be a servant in the home of his father than to live in the squalor that he's currently living in. And so he begins to walk home and he's practicing the speech, which you've all done. when You've had to go to your parent or your boss or somebody and, and, and basically say, I messed up. And so he's, he's running through the speech in his mind. And in Luke 15, the picture is of a father who stands on the roof of his house every day and is looking down the road and wondering, is today the day? Is today, to the, is today the day that my son's going to come home? And the father sees his son a long way off, and he comes down, and he runs out to him, and the son just gets like the first sentence out. That's it. The first sentence of his speech. And his father's got a, says, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, signs of relationship. The, the, the fattened calf that we've been saving for a celebration, we're going to eat it today because my son who was lost is found, who was dead, is alive. He doesn't put his son at the kids' table. He doesn't put him in time out. He doesn't say, you got to earn your way back in. Robe and ring and fattened calf. Do you realize that's the invitation that he makes to you? You don't have to give the speech. You don't have to do that. You accept the invitation. That's all he's asking for. 
whether you've never done that or again, you've made a decision for Jesus, but for whatever reason you feel like you're still not quite there. Let the resurrection remind you this morning. Your relationship with God has changed. You're adoptable. And he desires for you to be his full-fledged, not his step, his full-fledged son or daughter. The second thing you see, Jesus says to Mary, go and tell. It's remarkable. Women's testimony was not valued. They weren't allowed to testify in court because they were seen as unreliable. And Jesus appears first to a woman, and not just any woman, but to Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons living inside her, which could not have been good. And I would imagine would create some level of stigma around her. And that would have been the majority of her adult life, I would think. And Jesus cast these demons out of her, and she's begun to follow him. Again, we don't know a ton else about her, but if you had 50 people that you were thinking, hey, Jesus is going to appear to them first. He needs a credible witness. She's not on your list in the top 50. It's Peter. It's James. It's John. It's three closest friends. It's maybe one of the other disciples. Or if he's going to appear to a woman, maybe it's his mom, but not Mary Magdalene, not to a, a woman whose testimony nobody really would value, not only because she was a woman, but maybe also because of her past. And yet that's who Jesus appears first to. She's the first Christian missionary. She's the first person to see Jesus alive, and she's given this job, go and tell the disciples. John and Peter, again, two of Jesus' closest three friends, were there at the tomb, and Jesus doesn't show up and talk to them. He will later in just a few hours, but he doesn't then. Mary is the one who has the privilege of seeing him first. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is writing to a church, 20 years after this first Easter, and they're really full of themselves and proud of who they are. And Paul is reminding them and saying, hey, you need to remember who you were when you were called. God chooses the things that are, he chooses foolish things to shame the wise and weak things to shame the strong and lowly things and despise things and things that are not to nullify things that are. And that's Mary Magdalene. She's all of those things. She's not who we would pick, but she's who Jesus picked. And and this, he, he's given her life a new sense of purpose and a new sense of meaning. And the resurrection does the same thing for us. If you like it in a different way, the resurrection puts a new, gives a new perspective to our life. Because Jesus triumphs over death, we realize that our 75 or 78 or 80 years is not all that there is to life. It's just the very, very, very beginning 80 years is a long time, but it's a not a long time in light of eternity. When God talks about our life in Isaiah, he says it, it's like flowers in a field that are here today and are gone tomorrow. We don't, we don't, that's not our experience. Our experience is that life is long, except I think when you get to the end of it, and then it seems pretty short. But in general, we're not aware of how temporary our life is, maybe until the very, very end. The resurrection reminds us this, this, this life that we live is prelude to something much greater. And so what that does on, on one hand is it kind of takes our life and it shrinks it, so to speak. It's like, wow, 80 years really isn't that long. But on the other hand, because the choices that we make in this life impact the next one, then the significance of this life becomes much, much greater. 
the things that we do now both prepare us and prepare others for eternity. So Jesus can say to Mary Magdalene, go and tell. That's a significant statement. That's a, that's an, a statement that's saturated with eternal implications. Go and tell. Go and tell them what you've seen and what I've said. We talk about doing our deal, the good works that God has created in advance for us to do. And we all have those good works. And you may see yourself as a Mary Magdalene, someone who's foolish or someone who's weak or someone who's lowly or someone who's despised. And that's, he chooses you. He picks you. He doesn't pick based on our track record. He doesn't pick based on our resume or our accomplishments that we put in our CV or based on our family connections or our intelligence. He doesn't pick based on any of that. He picks who he picks. And he's got good works that he's created for each of us to do. And so what he would say to you is the same thing that he would say to Mary Magdalene, go and tell. There's eternal work for you to do. It's so easy for us in this life that we live to lose sight of eternity. In one of Jesus's parables, he's talking about our hearts, comparing them to different types of ground. And one of them, the one that I feel like most of us fall into here in Marietta and Cobb County is the third type of soil or the third condition of wealth, the desire for other things and the worries of this life. And they choke out the gospel in our heart. And for many of us living in an affluent society, we would say, yes, there's so many things that compete for our time and our affection and our devotion. At times, we, I lose sight. I lose sight of eternity. It's so easy to do because there's so many things that are more pressing and are more urgent and that scream so much louder Would you this Easter allow the resurrection to remind you of eternity, to to refocus your life with a a, a more distant horizon? Our lives are short, but they're incredibly significant. And the choices that we make now prepare not just us, but we can help prepare others for forever. Last thing, Jesus asked Mary this question, and I wonder what our answer would be if he asked us the same question. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? I think my translation said, who are you looking for? It's a great question. We're in church on Easter Sunday. We know the right answer, Jesus. Is that the reality of our life? Are we seeking him? We all want to be accepted and loved as we are. We all look for somebody or something to take care of us and provide for us and tell us everything's going to be okay. People look for happiness. I actually don't think they're looking for happiness. I think it's deeper. They're looking for contentment and peace, the sense of enjoying their life. People look for meaning and purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? People look for all of those things, and and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Those are needs that everybody has. Only Jesus can meet those needs fully and forever. There's a a, a tendency in each one of us. I don't think all four of those kind of tug at each of us equally. It seems like maybe there's one or two based on our personality and our upbringing that maybe seem more significant to us. And we can find ourselves trying to get those needs met either by other people or other things and they're predators and they'll take advantage of us and they're well-meaning people and they'll do their best for us. But ultimately, neither people who are wicked or people who are righteous can 
meet that need fully and forever. We're, we're kind of like colanders. And you, whatever you dump in, it comes out pretty quick. Only Jesus can fill fully and forever. So again, as we close this service this Easter, April 21st, 2019, if he were to ask you this, this question this morning, whom do you seek? What's your answer? Not your Sunday school answer, the genuine answer in your heart. He says, if you'll seek first my kingdom, I'll give you everything that you need. That's a cliche almost, very difficult to live that out. If you'll seek me first, I, I can meet all of them. And the resurrection, to me, if he can overcome death, if he can beat an undefeated opponent, death, then he can provide acceptance and security and protection and meaning and peace and contentment. He can provide all those. If he can do that, if, if, if he can overcome death, well, then surely he can meet these needs in my heart if I'll seek him. Let's take a few minutes and pray. This is going to be a long prayer. You just grab onto one part of it, the part that most resonates with you. Bo and the band are going to come back up. We're going to close with worship this morning. Before we do, I just want to take a few minutes and give everybody an opportunity in your own heart to respond to the Lord. So you can put yourself in, are you in James and, or excuse me, are you in John and Peter's bucket? Not quite sure yet. You want to investigate. If that's you, you haven't made your decision about who Jesus is and what that means for your life, if you're willing, maybe just pray this prayer. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to me in a way that I would understand. I want to know who you are. I want to know who you are. My commitment on the front end is if you are the Son of God, I'll worship you. But you've got to show me. Moving to Mary Magdalene, if you struggle with this idea of God being your father, of you being adopted into his family as a son or a daughter, you've heard Jesus call your name just like Mary did. Maybe during worship you heard, and you know what I'm talking about in your heart, not with your ears. Jesus calling your name, you're sensing a pull in your heart towards him. Maybe you want to pray this. God, I want to receive this gift of reconciliation that you offer to me. The reconciliation that's available because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to live the rest of my life as a son or a daughter of yours. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me now in this Holy Spirit that you say is the spirit of adoption. I pray for that spirit to live within me and to empower me to follow Jesus. You may be someone who's been a Christian for a long time, but if you're honest, you feel like you're sitting at the kids' table. Could you hear him calling your voice this morning? Call, excuse me, calling your name this morning, telling you to come sit with him. 
you recognize that he doesn't just love you, that he's also pleased with you. And maybe you want to pray something like this. God, would you, would you help me to believe that I'm a co-heir with Jesus? Would you help me to believe that I'm a full-fledged child of yours? I confess that's difficult for me. I operate a whole lot better as a servant than I do a son or a daughter. But I'm asking for your grace. I'm asking for your grace this Easter day to receive the full benefit of Jesus' death and resurrection that I can call you Father and that Jesus calls me brother or sister. Maybe you've your life, maybe you feel like you've kind of gotten in the weeds of the dailiness of your life. You've lost sight of eternity. And so maybe you want to pray something like this. God, would you reset my perspective? Would you adjust the horizon that I'm moving towards? No, no longer just looking at the, the mile markers of the next promotion or the next graduation or the next, the next mark either relationally or in terms of my career. Those things are all fine, but God, I pray that I begin to see those things in light of forever. I pray that you would remind me that I've been made for eternity, that this life is short. It is, it is significant, but it's short, and I don't want to waste it. God, would you help me? If there are weeds in my heart that are choking out the good work that you want to do. I give you permission. You're the best gardener there is. You pull out what needs to get pulled out. Last group. Maybe you want to pray something like this. Jesus, my desire is to seek you first. My confession is I don't do that very often. I go chasing after other things and other people, not even necessarily intentionally. I just, I get distracted or tempted, look to other people, other things to meet my needs. I pray that you'd forgive me. And Jesus, on this Easter, I want to recognize that you're the only one who can address every area of my heart fully and forever. I want to seek you first and trust that if I do, you'll add everything that I need to me. So would you help me do that? You guys can stand as we close just a brief prayer and then moving into worship. God, I pray for each heart in the room. Pray for our kids up the street, our students up the road as well, that you would stir within each one of us. Father, I pray that the spirit of resurrection, you say the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us. And I pray that that spirit within us would produce hope, would produce peace, would produce joy, would produce a sense of expectancy in our lives. God, I pray that as we close in worship, we would do so as sons and daughters of yours, as, as brothers and sisters of this risen King Jesus. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.